Where we're going to go today in the New Covenant, it's, it's almost like you're slowing down now, okay? Because remember, in the first coming, second coming, you know, we had a conversation. You might, we could have concluded everything just last week because we talked about it all, right? Does that make sense? We kind of did a whole bookend from beginning to end. Now we're moving forward into the language of the prophetic. So when you go to uh, Jeremiah, what I want to do is, is we have this interesting slide. We use this for Revive School as well. Um, is that we had this kings and prophets slide. Remember, when you get to the Davidic covenant, at that point you have David, and then it goes to Solomon, right? Under Solomon then, he served for 40 years as a king. But you need to understand something. After Solomon's reign, it basically went to chaos. So then all of a sudden, Israel becomes Israel and Judah. Whenever you think of Israel, you got to think north. Whenever you think of Judah, you got to think south, okay? They're still all God's people. They're still all the same, but yet the reality is, is there's 12 tribes and they're split. So what you see here is these are going to be the northern kings. These are going to be the southern kings. And they're kings at the same time. And they don't like each other. The reason I wanted to go to Jeremiah today is because Jeremiah makes the transition into the new covenant. Okay? Now, Isaiah and Jeremiah, different time frames. What you'll see is, is basically Jeremiah, in the first 29 chapters of Jeremiah, okay, you're going to see basically all he's doing is unleashing judgment against his nation because his nation has turned away from God, okay? I want you to understand that language. But in the covenant language, Ray, what covenant are they still functioning under? It's the old covenant. The old covenant, which would be what? How, define that a little bit. Well, it's, it's uh, under the law. Okay. And so... Rules and regulations, but there's also, there's still even grace under law because through animal sacrifice, which points to Jesus, there's still grace in that. But there's still, there is grace in that, but in their language, they're under the law. Yep. And that law would mean sacrifices, <clears throat> right? Yep. The problem is that these guys, Jeremiah's guys, they weren't doing it very well. And in fact, they had two major things. They weren't reading the word, they didn't know the word, and they were worshiping false idols. So the first 29 chapters are like, guys, you're not keeping up with this, okay? Now, the one thing I'll tell you is when we're going to get into chapters 32, really 31 and 32, basically it's at the end of Zedekiah's reign, okay? So I'm just trying to give you a kind of a time frame because I'm jumping into the prophets, which is super swirly. And if you don't understand that Israel's here, Judah's here, they're a divided kingdom, you're not going to get the whole goal of, oh, by the way, we want everybody to come back. Now, two other things. I know I'm throwing a lot of historical stuff at you, but you have what's called the Assyrian captivity, and then you have what's called the Babylonian captivity. Kevin, you want to break that down just a little bit? The Assyrians take uh, Israel, which didn't ever have a good king. They just went awry and that's 10 tribes that's right the 10 the 10 lost tribes if you've ever heard that language up here okay and assyria carries them off and scatters them never to come back to the land good yet let's go to the babylonian captivity <laughs> the babylon captivity uh it comes later judah survives longer and uh babylonians carry them off for 70 years and then partial allowed to return. And that was even prophetically declared 70 years and then they'll be released. Okay. Why that's important is this captivity, captivity, and they're going to be released. You need to know that as we come into this text today. Okay. So you just need to know Israel's a mess 
at this point. Does that make sense for everybody? I know that's a lot to throw in and catch up, but without me teaching literally back through the whole Bible, that's your summary to get an attempt to uh, get caught up. So here's what I want you to do. Can you guys, everybody go to Jeremiah uh, 30. Jeremiah 30. I'm going to do a quick summary here. Um, And if anybody knows J. Vernon McGee, uh, he was an old a pastor of ours, a mentor and friend, loved and looked up to him. Great, great man of God. He's passed away, but he does a quick summary on some of this. And, and in verse 3, I want you to understand God promises, in Jeremiah 30, verse 3, God makes a promise to both Israel and Judah that they will return to the land. So there's this language that you got to start getting, okay? Laura, this one's for you. There's this language of near and far. (laughs) Okay, so this promise of, hey, by the way, the near promise is you're going to come out of captivity after 70 years, and then you're going to go back to your land. Does that make sense? But there's a far perspective, and that far perspective is, yeah, you're coming out of captivity. Yeah, you're coming to a land, but I'm going to do something more down the road with the land that you don't even know about yet. Does that make sense? So I'm going to give you the here and now and the future. Okay, so how want you get to understand that. In verses 4 through 7, there's a picture in Jeremiah 30, of Jeremiah 30, 4 through 7, of a glorious return to the land that's going to be preceded by the great tribulation. Ray, when we hear this preceded by the language of the great tribulation, can you unpack that just a little bit? Um. Yeah, we know from multiple scriptures that, you know, there's different language for it. The day of Jacob's trouble, there's different language for it. But the tribulation is seven years, but then the great tribulation is the last three and a half. Um, Some people believe, I don't see it quite this way, that there's three and a half years of peace. Uh, There's a treaty, but there's other scriptures that point, there's chaos going on. So it's not this wonderful time of peace, and then all of a sudden chaos hits. It's chaos through the full seven years. It just cranks to another level, um, uh, and it's, it's triggered by the abomination of desolation. Yep. And so the whole thing is the tribulation. Great tribulation is the last three and a half years. Way to use every end-time terminology right there. Boom. The, the abomination of desolation is just what? So it's, it's when the Antichrist will... Going to the temple, declare himself to be God. Good. And so Jeremiah 30, by the way, says there's going to be a return, but there's going to be a tribulation. And Ray references this time of Jacob's trouble. That's a language that's found in Matthew 24. That's language in Revelation 6 through 19. It is literally the tribulation is going to take place. The great tribulation is the midpoint of those seven years. Now in verse 9, this is prophetic, Jeremiah 30 verse 9 It says, they will serve the Lord their God, and I will raise up David their king for them. We had this discussion. Do you remember this? The Davidic covenant. Is David coming back to life? Is it actually David? Or is it the Messiah? Well, yes, it is the Messiah coming back. But this is the language. In fact, uh, a couple of us, uh, a couple of us friends, we went to a, a Jewish deli here in the Dallas area. And they have a picture up, you guys, of a rabbi. Do you know this? And it's the same picture of the rabbi that's all over Israel. And they think he could be the Messiah. I asked the rabbi, the kosher rabbi, that's the guy who makes sure everything's kosher in the restaurant. Do you think? He goes, yeah, I think it might be. 
if you knew the word, you would know that that's not even an option. That's my point. We need to know the word so well that when we talk to our Jewish friends, they want what we have. Jeremiah prophesies the coming Messiah. Isn't that awesome? But he also says they're coming, the Jews are coming back to their land. If the Jews are coming back to the land, right, after the tribulation, what does that imply for the Jews? Ray, what would you say? Well, it implies that uh, the Messiah is coming. They're going to be restored into the land. Uh, and there's a whole new covenant they're going to walk in. And before we get into that covenant, the Jews are different. And this is not the promise for the church. Amen. There's nothing here, you guys, about Ecclesia. This is his chosen people. This is a promise of God that is not going away. So we can never say God's done with Israel. Or we're saying God doesn't keep his promise. It's important to make those little small indicators. Ray? Uh, can you clean it up just a little? Because, you know, when you say new covenant and it's not, you know, for the church. You threw in the new covenant stuff, not me. <laughs> so the new covenant is implied for the Jews and for the church. But we're talking about the land and the promises of the land is for Israel. Thank you. You stirred that pot, though, by the way. I like it. Okay, that's good. All, all right, right, so the, this is good. Verses 10 through 11. Uh, this is all my backdrop, by the way. Uh, verses 10 through 11, there's going to be a, a member, J. Vernon McGee just kind of summarizes. There's a prospect of the future because of the mercy and faithfulness of God. Like, God wants to delight in doing this for his people. In verses 12 through 17, you're going to see healing for Zion. Zion is Jerusalem. Zion is Israel that we're talking about. There's going to be a period of healing that comes place. Now remember, I'm a prophet and I see that my people are in captivity and if they're not, they're already going there. So as they're going to captivity, can you imagine a prophet saying, by the way, you're going to experience the land and healing. Hang in there. For 29 chapters, all they've ever heard is, is Israelites, you're not good. Israelites, you're not good. So finally you see a prophetic picture of, hey guys, God's giving you hope. going in chains and shackles and he says hey by the way there's going to be a time of healing that takes place and in fact 18 through 22 there's restoration of the land remember they're going to be in captivity for 70 years for 70 years and he says by the way you're going to get out of this and there's going to be restoration of the land and at the same time in verses 23 through 24 there will be wrath that takes place in order for you to experience the land now when you go back to our prophetic uh, psalms, look at this language, okay? God's wrath, right, takes place, why? So that they can experience the land. Does that make sense? God's wrath has to come to fruition so that here we see the salvation of Israel. We see the king of glory coming. We see that he's going to come and rule and reign on Zion. And then it's going to launch into the thousand years. You're going to see this language today in Jeremiah 31 of language of launching into the possible millennium. Okay? Okay, that's your backdrop. Let's jump in. <laughs> um, I do want to see that. I do want to say this. This is kind of important. Um, I'm going to write some stuff down here. Uh, 
Okay, so what before we get into Jeremiah 31, you got six aspects of things that need to be restored. Remember, at this point, they're doing what again? Where are they headed? Into captivity, right? If they're not into captivity, they're headed into captivity. So at this point, this comes from Tom Constable. He used to be a professor at uh, Dallas Seminary. Uh, at this point, what are things that need to be restored? Well, one, there is no resting place in exile. Okay? There's no place to land. In this, their nation is torn down. Okay? Their nation is torn down. The celebrations that they all do, that they all love, that they love to come before the Lord, all of the celebrations are silenced. The reason that I want to do this here is because, you know, when we go through the, the, the wristband and you talk to somebody about Jesus, it's really odd to talk to somebody about the good news if they don't know the bad news. Okay? So I'm going to release promises that God gives to us, to the Israelites, I should say, in Jeremiah uh, 31. But why is he giving the promises? Because these things are not in place. Okay, there's no resting place. The nation is torn down. The celebrations are silenced. This might sound like a, a, a simple one, but the vines and the plants are uprooted. This is an ag group of people. They don't even have that kind of stuff anymore. Then when you get into number five, uh, the watchmen. They're always announcing... They're always announcing uh, the invading conqueror. Can you imagine every day? All you're hearing is, is the enemy's coming, the enemy's coming, the enemy's coming. In some regards, it's what Israel's experiencing today. The sirens. When the siren goes off in Israel, they typically say you have three minutes from that siren to get to the bomb shelter. This is all that, that they are living in. And number six here is, at this point, Kevin... The temple is destroyed. Yep, no temple. What does that mean if they don't have a temple? No place to sacrifice. There's no place to sacrifice. This is how we're going to turn the corner to the new covenant. If they have no place to sacrifice, if they have no place to do celebrations, their nation is torn down, the vines and the plants are uprooted, they have no place to, they are literally homeless and they don't know how to worship God anymore. This is the stage that you have to understand in some regards of what they're walking into. So now you have a prophet who's going to release all of these incredible promises from the Lord. And so these incredible promises, they start in Jeremiah 31, verse 1. Scripture says this, At that time, I love that language, by the way, in the future is what he's saying. In the future, at that time, this is the Lord's declaration. There's 15 of these I wills in this chapter. Now, you have to study hard and long to find them, <laughs> okay? They don't all just say, I will, but there's implications of God doing those things. So he says, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they will be my people. Where do you go to when you hear that language already? He says, I will be the God of all of the families of Israel. I kind of automatically go to the Abrahamic covenant, right? Why? Why would you go there, Ray? Well, it's just, it's the declaration of everything that Israel's walking into. It's the promise of the land. It's the, I'll curse those who curse you, bless those who bless you. It's all of the, 
the promises of Abraham to his people group. And he says, I'm in charge of all of this. All of this I'm in charge. He says in verse two, this is what the Lord says. They found favor in the wilderness. Now he's talking about, by the way, the wilderness. Remember this, the Exodus, the whole bringing them out of Egypt. And then all of a sudden they're thrown in the wilderness. They found favor in the wilderness. The people who survived the sword when Israel went to find rest, man, we could literally teach an entire sermon on this verse right here. Think about this, you guys. They found favor, the people who survived in the, uh, who survived the sword, and then when Israel went to find rest. Ray, do you want to jump into that a little bit? Uh, I think it could be a dual fulfillment. It's a total dual fulfillment. So, you know, they uh, escaped the sword of Pharaoh yeah. and went into the wilderness to, uh, to, in terms of rest before they went into the land. And I think it's a picture of the end times yeah. that when Jesus saves them from the sword, they will find rest uh, back in the land. So the wrath, when the fighting is taking place, when everything's coming, by the way, I'm going to give you favor. Why does he, t he tells them to go places, doesn't he? Yep. Go to the mountains. And by the way, I hope you make it is basically really what it is. Yeah, there's a blessing on those that survive uh, the wrath. That's right. And there's, a, there's passages that talk about those that survive it uh, go into the land. There's a special blessing on that. So you will find refuge in the tribulation like you did then. I'll do it again. Amen. It's an awesome picture, you guys, of what was and again, what can be. He says in verse 3, uh, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued to extend faithful love to you. And again, I will build you so that you will be rebuilt. Now, do you see this language? This is all based on God, not on them. They're used to this language of Mosaic covenant, right? They're used to this language of having to do something. But when you go back to this list, that hasn't worked. Everything that they've been trying, it hasn't worked. God has allowed them to do this and it's not working. And so now all of a sudden he's going to implement all, implement all of his promises. Hey, by the way, I'm going to come in and I'm going to start doing these things. And he says in verse four, again, I will build you so that you will be rebuilt virgin Israel. Even the language of virgin, you guys, it's almost like he's saying, I'm giving you a brand new start. And I'm going to talk to you how he's going to give that brand new start. But he says, I'm giving you in that language of virgin, you guys, the only time you ever think of virgin, really, you guys, is what? the language of Mary. And so he's saying, I'm going to give you a whole new start, but it's on my plan based on a new covenant. Because the other one, I don't want to say it didn't work, but it's broken. The law clearly showed we are broken people and we cannot keep up with the law. It's a great guardrails, but it doesn't work. I, told yes, I asked a lady yesterday, I said, hey, how can I pray for you? She said, oh, she said, I'm good. I keep the Ten Commandments. I go, really? She goes, well, not all of them. <laughs> you know, it's that reality of like, well, if I'm honest about it. <laughs> and God says, listen, I'm going to do the work. And when I do, when I reinstate this virgin Israel, when I rebuild this, look what says is going to happen. You're going to take up your tambourines and go forth in a joyful dancing. I love this promise. There's this guy, Phil, uh, I want to make sure I honor him. Philip Graham Riken, and he says, at this point, God promises comfort through worship. 
You got to remember what's our old past. Our old past is weeping, mourning, and it's not working. And now he says, yeah, but I'm going to rebuild virgin Israel. And now you're going to find comfort in worshiping me again. And I'm doing the work. And it's an awesome picture of God establishing him. He says in verse 5, you will plant vineyards again on the mountains of Samaria. The planters will plant and will enjoy the fruit. Now, this language, this is going to, can I, I need to go somewhere here. And I, I want you just to try to hang on. Okay. Samaria, Kevin, do you know where Samaria is located? North or south? North. It's the north. So now he's saying this. This is a really cool picture. I'm going to finish in verse 6 and then come back. For there will be a day when watchmen will call out in the hill country of Ephraim, the north. Get up, let's go up to Zion to Yahweh our God. He's now saying, by the way, north, I want you to come where? To Zion. I want you to be unified as one. Now, he's saying the Samaritans, I want you to come. Kevin, how does that work? Well, again, the promises are for everyone. Everybody. So in Samaria, the north is gone at this time that he's prophesying this. So Jeremiah is now wrapping them back in and saying, right. you're still part of the promises. That's right. Okay, now I want to go, I'm gonna, you got to have to clean this up for me, okay? In Jesus' first coming, was the Samaritans on the equal page with the Jews? No. So how do we know then that this has, has this happened? No, this has not happened, which says there's something more that's coming. Because when we see that language coming together, go to John 4, Kevin, will you please? John 4, you guys know this text, 20 through 24. Jesus prophesied about the end times to the woman at the well. And that tie-in comes from Jeremiah 31. Watch this. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Man, it's such an awesome picture. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from uh, the Jews. But an hour is coming, verse 23, and now... He, and is here now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. What are your thoughts on that, Ray? Uh, awesome picture. In her language, she says, when Messiah comes, He will show us all things. Yeah. That's actually a dual fulfillment on that. Because Messiah is standing right there. I'm right here. Right here, and he's fulfilling it right in front of her. And he's going to fulfill it when you just said they're going to find comfort in worship. That's right. He's prophesying to her. And I think she got it on a level that we don't realize. We kind of think she didn't know much. But she was hungry for the Messiah, which is why she encountered him. And she went back, and her whole evangelistic message, he read my mail, That's could right. this be the Messiah? That's right. Because you've been looking for him. So Jeremiah 31, there's language in verse 5. You'll plant vineyards again on the mountains of Samaria. But here's what's happening is the watchmen are saying, I need you to do a road trip. He's going to call out to the hill country of Ephraim. Those that are in the north, those that are in the Samaria area, guys, I need you to get up. I need you to go to Zion. I need you to worship the Lord as one. Jesus talks about this and so does the prophet Jeremiah. It's a pretty powerful picture and he says then in verse 7, I mean, back in Jeremiah 31, verse 7, for this is what the Lord God, this is what the Lord says, sing with joy for Jacob. 
about the chief, uh, sorry, my language is different. Shout for the chief of the nations, proclaim praise and say, Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Now, by the way, Isaiah 11, 11, Kevin, if you can go there, God promised to save the remnant, right? I, it just hit me that uh, she was at Jacob's well. She was getting water. Hmm. But even more of a tie-in. Man, big time. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Isaiah 11, 11 says, On that day, the Lord will extend his hand a second time to recover from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and the coasts and islands of the west, the remnant of his people who survived. There's language, you guys, that God saves the Israelites always through a remnant. Remnant is just a very small group of people that believe and understand and walk out God's promises. It's not a big group. When's the last time God ever used a big group? He always wants to get the glory. Let's get it down to 12 disciples. Let's get it down to, you know, 300 guys with Gideon. He's always dwindling it so he can get the glory. And so there's the same language. You know, these people are saying, God, would you save your people, the remnant of Israel? And in verse 8, it says, watch, I'm going to bring them forth from the northern land. So I'm going to bring the remnant, the people from the north, right? That's the Israel side of things. I'm going to gather them from remote regions of the earth. So now he says, not just from the land of the north, but he says, I'm bringing my people from where? All over. I'm going to bring, to talk normal language, the Jews that have scattered to all of the world. I'm going to bring them back. And by the way, I'm going to bring the blind, the lame will be with them. I'm not going to show favoritism here. The blind, the lame, along with those who are pregnant and about to give birth. They will return here as a great assembly. In verse 8, Jeremiah 31, you have the most incredible picture of what is happening today, literally in Israel. Aliyah is where Jewish people are born and live somewhere else in the world. But Jeremiah just prophesied they're going to all, what? Come back to the land. If you meet a Jew... I always encourage them to go back to the land. It's their land. So how do I know this is already starting to take place? These are some cool statistics here. Um, look at this one, this chart. 1948 was when Israel was established. Okay? I love that everybody's like squinting right now. Okay, whatever. 1948, okay, you had the immigrants came in at 101,000. And every year... We have it documented, not we, but the people do, have documented all of the immigrants that are coming from all over the regions of the earth. You guys, it's a biblical prophecy that's being fulfilled when you live in Russia and you move to Israel. When you live in Jersey or New York and you are actually Jewish, this zip code, 75248 in Dallas, we have a lot of Jewish people. It's biblical if they move to, Jer uh, to Jersey, if they move to Jerusalem. <laughs> So here's some of the, here's some, sorry, Rich, you did that. Uh, here's some of the countries, okay? This is, this is probably not the most up-to-date, but this will give you an idea. It is true that most of the Russians, like when you go to Israel, you'll feel a very Russian presence. Russian Jews, uh, Moroccans, Algerians, Tunisia, Romania, Poland, Iraq. The U.S. is, is there, Ethiopia. Um, this is going to sound really weird, but a lot of people... Think of Jews as white people with curly cues and a top hat. There's a lot of Ethiopian Jews that come to Israel. There's a lot of Egyptians and uh, people from uh, Libya, Yemen, Turkey, South Africa, Germany. This is a picture 
that God's people were scattered, diaspora, all over the world, and he says, and they're going to come back. Isn't that awesome? It's biblical. When you hear of people coming back, and it's important to support them, and it says this, now watch in verse 9, they will come weeping, but I will bring them back with consolation. I will lead them to wadis filled with water by a smooth way where they will not stumble. For I am Israel's father and Ephraim. Ephraim, you guys, is the north. Again, is my firstborn. They're going to come with a mentality of weeping, but God says, I'm going to give them hope when they do. I don't know how else. Anyway, it's as clear as bell. It's, this, is, this is exactly what we're looking at. Now, nations, it says in verse 10, hear the word of the Lord. By the way, this is actually nations. <laughs> this is not for Israel. He says, nations, hear the word of the Lord. Tell it among the far off coastlands. So my friends in Botswana, my friends in South Africa, every nation, the one who scattered Israel will gather him. He will watch over him as a, as a shepherd. There's a promise. He will watch over them as a shepherd guards his flock. So as they come into the land, I got him. Isn't that cool? When you think of the Iron Dome, don't you think of that? Isn't that like this crazy image? I got him. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and redeemed him from the power of one stronger than he. For time, I'm not going to dig into all of this. I do want you to know is that the Lord eventually, not at this time, but eventually will purchase actually their freedom if they want it. It's called the New Covenant. And he sets it up. Verse 12 says this, Jeremiah 31, verse 12. They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion, Jer Jerusalem. They will be radiant with joy because of the Lord's goodness, because of the grain, the new wine, the fresh oil, because of the young of the flocks and the herds. Their life will be like an irrigated garden and they will no longer grow weak from hunger. In other words, God is providing everything they need. Do you know what it's like to move to a new area? You don't have anything. And if you're coming from a country, you're not bringing a U-Haul with you, by the way. You're not bringing an abundance of stuff. But God says, as you're coming, I got you. No problem. Then the young woman in verse 13 will rejoice with dancing while young and old men rejoice together. I'll turn their mourning into joy, give them consolation and bring happiness out of grief. I will refresh the priests with an abundance and my people will be satisfied with goodness. This is the Lord's declaration. I got it, he says. And all the nations are going to see my hand is on my people. Notice every year they keep coming. Right now in 2021, roughly 8 million Jews live in Israel. It's only going to keep growing. And it's all prophecy. And it's all a fulfillment of the end times. Why do we watch this little Jersey, this little town, this little state, that, that this size, right, of, of something in, in the United States? Because God says, that's my home. And that's my land. And so I think it's important for us to understand this language. And so when you get into this, is verses 15 through 22, this is what the Lord says. A voice was heard in Ramah. A lament with bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Uh, let me just say this. You're going to just see a period of lamenting. There's so much here prophetically. I just want to keep going here I just because of time, but there's a lot here. I want to just say 16. This is what the Lord says. 
Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, or for, the, for the reward for your work will come. This is the Lord's declaration. And your children will return from the enemy's land. You guys, it's just this language over and over and over. There is hope for your future. This is the Lord's declaration. And your children will return to their own territory. Do you see it again? I'm emphasizing, I'm going to put my people in my land. And it's interesting in verse 15, I, I can't overlook this. Um, you remember Rachel? She, she died while giving birth to Benjamin. Remember this? Rachel's the mother of Joseph. Joseph is the father of Ephraim and Manasseh. And so, yes, there might be this period of sorrow. There might be this period of like, it's not good, but he says, I'm going to redeem it all. 17, he says, there's hope. Stop lamenting. In verses 18 and 19, you see genuine, genuine repentance is what you see. I've heard Ephraim mourning. This is the Lord talking. You disciplined me and I've been disciplined like an untrained calf. Restore me and I will return. For you, Lord God, are my God. After I returned, I repented. And after I was instructed, I struck my thigh in grief. It's a sign of remorse. I was ashamed and humiliated because of the, I bore the disgrace of my youth. Before I go on, do you remember this, you guys? This is all they knew. They're living in a place of shame. A, shame, a place of disgrace. I haven't been able to do this. I haven't been able to keep up. We've turned away from you, God. And God says, it's okay. I'm going to restore and um, I'm going to show my compassion on you in this time. You got to imagine people that are hearing this, you guys. They're in captivity or they're going in captivity. They, people live in shame all the time. They live in their past all the time. Why I love what's coming with the new covenant. He says, I know you can't keep up. That's why I'm giving you a better option. And it's way better than you could ever imagine. But what we all try to do is we try to go back to our past and we try to live in this place and you just can't keep it up. And he says this to the Israelites. I've got something better for you. Virgin Israel, I've got something better for you says in verse 20, Isn't Ephraim a precious son to me, a delightful child? Whenever I speak against him, I certainly still think about him. Therefore, my inner being yearns for him. I will truly have compassion on him. This is the Lord's declaration. In other words, I know you've turned your back against me, Ephraim, but I love you. I know, I know you haven't been able to keep up, but I'm here for you and I care for you. Scripture just continues. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to set up road markers for yourself. Establish signposts. Keep the highway in mind. Put your heart on me, the way you've traveled. And here he says it again, return, Virgin Israel. Uh, return to these cities of yours. In other words, I need you to make markers as you're going back to the promised land. I have got you there. That's what he's saying. You put markers, you put Joshua stones, you put signposts that says, I've done this, not you. God is the one that redeems us. It's not our efforts. And in verse 22, how long will you turn here and there, faithless daughter? In other words, this prostitute image. How long are you going to keep flitting around, but the Lord creates something new in the land? A female will shelter a man. In other words, he's going to have a shield, a shelter, a compass. In other words, there's going to be a time of genuine repentance that as they come into the land. And now he begins to describe what's coming. 
This is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel says, when I restore their fortunes, they will once again speak this word in the land of Judah and in its cities. May the Lord bless you, righteous settlement, holy mountain. That's Zion, that's Jerusalem. And Judah, watch this, here it is, in all its cities will live in it together. Also farmers and those who move with the flocks, for I satisfy the thirsty person and I feed all those who are weak. In other words, he just said, by the way, all of the mess, the northern kingdoms, the southern kingdoms, you're all going to be provided for, and we're going to see genuine unity. Ray, when do you think that is going to take place? Well, I, I believe that's uh, start, it's going to start to happen. Uh, I think some of the pressure of the nations coming against Israel mm. is going to start it, the process, but when Jesus returns, that's when it's in its full, full form. Full form. The king of glory comes back and then it begins to relinquish. The wrath has taken place, just as you're saying, and Israel can walk in unity. We're talking millennium language here. Yeah. Jeremiah 31 is millennium language. Millennium is a period of a thousand years. Where is Satan at that time? Uh, once Jesus has returned, defeated the enemies of Israel, he's bound for a thousand years. That's key because they have unity and Satan's not in the picture. Praise God, right? You got anything else with that? <laughs> yeah, I think there's something to be said for the process of pressure mm. and how it gets rid of all the petty stuff and unity starts to happen. Mm. It's what's happening in Iran uh, with thousands coming to Christ like almost daily. Yeah. And uh, I've heard a story about a lady and her husband that came to the U.S., and couldn't take how messed up the sure. American church, yeah. and she would rather go back to the pressure and the persecution yeah. because of the unit, unity and the, just the, the ability to just be sold out for Jesus. Yeah. So I think that pressure of the whole world being against Israel will start the pressure cooker yeah. where they're gonna find unity, yeah. and that's why I said it's the beginning of it. Yeah, so that's an awesome picture. The wrath comes, it will create this, we have got to look to you. And they can go to Jeremiah 31 to see how it's going to happen. Isn't that awesome? There's going to be unity that actually takes place. Now watch this. This is the best part. This is my favorite verse of the whole thing, kind of. Verse 26 says, At this I awoke. I looked around. My sleep had been most pleasant to me. Oh, oh what? What's, oh, that was a good sleep. Eight hours. It was all a dream. There's a download from the Lord while Jeremiah was sleeping. And the crazy thing is in Jeremiah 36, he's actually instructed to give this to a man. I think it's Baruch as his name, Barak or Baruch. And Baruch actually writes down everything that Jeremiah heard and saw. And by the way, it continues. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be a reason for all of us to put pads of paper and pen next to us, uh, next to our bed? Or some of us are just scrambling to get going. <laughs> Ah, oh, that was a pleasant sleep, right? <laughs> it says this in verse 27, The days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast. So all of this chaos right here, by the way, all of this that you see here, okay, it's going away. And I want to give you one more picture. All of this is now going to be one. All of this chaos, you're now unified. So he says, the house of Israel, the house of Judah will 
be with the seed of man and the seed of beast. Animals will be there. You will have provision. Just as I watched over them to uproot and to tear them down, to demolish and to destroy and to cause disaster, so I will be attentive to build and to plant them. Now, some would say, already this has happened. 1948 was when Israel became a nation. Yes, to some extent. Yes, it was in regards to them coming out of captivity, out of the Babylon captivity. Yes, to some extent, it was May 14, 1948, when they became a nation, which is tomorrow, by the way. Yes, there's going to be unity between the house of Israel and the house of Judah at some point, but we have not seen that in its completion yet. And then he begins to unfold this, and this is, watch this picture with me if you can. Uh, in those days, though, it says, it will never, be, never again be said. The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. In other words, no longer will it be based on a dad's wrongdoing. I'll read the next verse, verse 30. Rather, each will die for his own wrongdoing. Anyone who says, sour, eat sour grapes, his own teeth will be set on edge. Look, okay, does that make sense? Hang on, that was kind of messy the way I read that. Verse 31 says this. Um, Kevin, where are we? Can you, can, you got to go back for me, Kevin, if you can. So in 29, it says, thank you. It says this. Uh, it says, basically this is implying, if your father sins, that sin is on you. It's an old proverb, okay? But it's now saying in verse 30, you can't say that anymore. You can no longer say the sin of your father now is upon you. No, now the scripture says your sin is based on us. In verse 30, it says, we each will die for his own wrongdoing. We now bring upon the sin of our own wrongdoings, not our father. There's a lot of texts that would support that. It's, let me put it differently. It's not corporate responsibility. It's individual responsibility. What my dad does, his sin or whatever, or if I, my sin, it does not come onto my kid according to this text. We are responsible for our own sin. That's important to know as you jump into the new covenant. So look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, both of you together. It's a, a, one commentator calls this the watershed moment in Hebrews, in, in Hebrew language. Okay, this is the water. This is the turning point. Remember why? Because this is a mess and this is a mess. We can't keep up. So the text is very clear. Something is going to be new. And he says, I'm going to make a new covenant. And this is what it's going to look like. In verse 32, this one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant they broke even though I had married them. The Mosaic covenant, the 10 commandments, the 600 and some commandments, right? The languages, the laws, they can't keep up. And instead in, 31, uh, in verse 33, it says, instead, this is the covenant I will make. And you notice how he always constantly is saying this, with the house of Israel after those days. The Lord's declaration, I will put my teaching within, and it says this, I will put my teaching, I'm going to go here for a second. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Uh, I'm going to stop here if I can. Yeah, I, I want to slow down with the New Covenant. I got a lot there. And uh, let's just leave it as this. I, I hate leaving it on bad news. Because right now, I'll come to you in a second. 
Right now, I'll just say this, is they're coming out of the captivity, and he says, I'm giving you hope, but he hasn't released how. That's what we'll get into next week. Uh, Lord, we just say thanks for uh, today. Thanks for this text. Thank you for the realness of <laughs> how this works, the prophecy as it unfolds. And so, Father, we, we just commit this to you, that your promises for your people are not done. It's an incredible picture of them coming back to the land. But as they come back to the land, Father, I pray that every one of them sees the hope that can only come from you. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.